0: Good morning. God is good all the time. We can do better than that. God is good all the time. There we go. God is good all the time. So uh, I'm Clark Morris. I'm one of the deacons here, and it's uh, my honor to get to. Uh, Try to deliver a message uh, this morning and thanks, uh, Dr. Dishman, Dr. Dishman, for uh, reminding us of the power of lessons. And uh, thanks also to Jeff of reminding us of new life and the blessing of new life. And uh, I have to I'll take responsibility for the uh, song. Screw up there right before this lesson and that I actually asked Jerome to switch the songs and I think I messed that up. So um, that wasn't Jerome's fault. He was leading the song that I asked him to lead. So uh, thank you, Jerome. So I've been thinking about soap. Yeah, I know you're thinking, um, why are you so weird that you think about soap? And I actually brought a bar of soap uh, here. So this is dial soap. And if you grew up in my household, then um, you had this in the in the bath with you, which is the, the very um, distinctly colored bar of soap, it's dial soap. Anybody ever use this before? Um, yeah. All right. We've got some hands. And uh, it has a distinctive smell. So that reminds me of uh, taking a shower when I was a kid. And um, what is a little uh, odd about this is that um, I don't. I didn't really understand why it was called dial, why it was called dial. That didn't seem to make any sense to me. And so but, you know, a lot of uh, soap names don't seem to make sense, but there they have some there's some logic behind them. And uh, Dial was actually developed in uh, 1948 uh, by a meat packing company in Chicago. And you're like, what do meat packing companies have to do with soap? Well, uh, originally, soap was developed from animal fat, which was the uh, leftover after they cut up animals uh, to, you know, for for meat packing. And so. Um, Armour and Company, probably heard of that company as a, a big meatpacking company in America based out of Chicago. They uh, started developing uh, soaps, starting with laundry soap in the late 1800s. And in 1948, they came up with dial. Now what's so big about dial? other than it is this distinctive color. It's that it was the first soap that they said was antibacterial. And they said that. It would remove the bacteria in your skin that causes um, that uh, that smells the bacteria from sweat. And so they said their slogan was, and I'll make sure I get this right. Their slogan was, aren't you glad you use dial? Don't you wish everybody did? (laughs) And they said it provided 24 hour protection. Aha. Twenty four hours. Finally, we get to the root of why is this silly bar called dial? Because the dial of a clock around the dial, you have 24 hour protection. So um, my father in law insists on using dial soap. This color, they make some other colors, but this is the original color and this is the one he insists on. He's from Chicago, but I'm not really sure that that's why he's so fond of this soap, but it's. It's got to be. And so whenever my father-in-law comes and stays with us, which he did a few weeks ago, uh, Stephanie makes sure that we have dial soap in his bathroom, both at the sink and in the shower. And so uh, she bought a big package of it. And so now, guess what? I'm using dial soap in my shower as well and being reminded of my childhood. So that's a long story to get you to the place where I say I've been thinking about soap. But what I've been thinking about soap is that, you know, uh, all of these elements in soap are brought together into this bar, and then you rub this bar in your hands with a little water, and you take what comes off, and you wash with it, and then it goes down the drain. You see, we call this a consumable, meaning that it is built for one purpose, and when it is used for that purpose, it is done, it is gone. It is no longer effective. It is no longer valued. It is no longer thought of. It is a consumable. We use it and then we lose it. So every layer that comes off this soap is helpful in the moment and then it's gone. And I started to think about that in relationship to our lives. See, we have a lot of consumables in uh, in our society. Uh, We have paper towels and toilet paper and Kleenexes and different kinds of soap. There actually are hundreds of different kinds of soap. And so we could spend a long time talking about soap today, but I promise you we're going to get off of soap. And I thought about how sometimes. We begin to think about our lives or we begin to think that we're treated a little like soap That we're a little replaceable. That people can be very dismissive of us, that once they've gotten what they want out of us, then they're done with us and they don't care about us anymore. That maybe your employer uh, tells you, you know. There are people that can do your job. There are thousands of people that would love to have your job. I think that was a quote in uh, Bible class this morning. And I think about that as a manager. In fact, we just had a employee uh, give her resignation uh, this week on Friday. And I was sad to see her go. But I also have the realization that, you know, what? there's a lot of good people out there. There'll be someone to come and fill this position. But if we start to feel that way, uh, that can be a very depressing feeling, Um If you think about your life, that all of you are one day closer to death. You're one week closer to death than we were last week when we gathered. You're one month closer to death than a month ago when we were here together. And so you could start to think of yourself as a consumable, as uh, something that sort of gets chewed up in life and then spit out and then no one cares about you anymore. And that's a very depressing feeling. That's not a good feeling. And it's also not a healthy feeling. And it's also not a spiritual feeling because the whole idea of God's kingdom is that he's created a place for us. He's created a spiritual place for us where he wants to gather us up permanently and not treat us like soap that slips away. In the drain. And so this is a very simple lesson this morning, but I hope that you will take these simple principles about God and make profound implications for your life, for your life and for your purpose and for how you live. The. There are times where you might feel like that, you know, the government sort of treats me as a uh, consumable. I got to hear Esther George uh, a little over a week ago, about 10 days ago, uh, speak. Now, Esther George is the head of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, uh, which is one of the, I think, 11 Federal Reserve Banks in the country. And so when she speaks, she talks a lot about um, federal monetary policy and Uh, It was actually pretty encouraging to hear her speak because she talked about how actually our economy is doing uh, historically very well. That we're in the longest, um, second longest run of steady growth uh, that we've ever been in as as in the history of the country. That um, unemployment is at such a steadily low place that we basically say we are fully employed and so when she makes these statements, she's talking about a macro level, and um, the problem with that—I mean, it's—I it's uh, was encouraged by that, but also for the person that is unemployed <laughs> in this economy, they may feel like, well, the government doesn't really care about me. The government's saying no, there's full employment, and the, because they're not thinking about the individual, and God thinks about. The individual. In fact, he deeply values every single individual. He doesn't want to throw you away. And so, when we think about this eternal truth of the gospel, that uh, no one is beyond God's reach, no one is, that God doesn't want anyone to be outside of this spiritual family that he's created, that God loves. All. We have to say that we want to be careful, then that our mentality toward church, our mentality towards God is not a consumer mentality. We want to make sure that. We don't treat God the way the world treats us, meaning that we want to make sure that we say to God God, if you are creating a permanent place for me and for us. And you value everyone and you don't want to throw me away or to let me drift away, then I need to make sure that I'm responding to you and committing to you that I, too, want to be permanent in your kingdom. And I want to have a permanent presence in your kingdom I really want to be there, meaning I want to have my heart and soul there. I want to be a part of a family, a part of your kingdom that has that's present and living with God. And so let's pause for a moment and just say, how do we do that? How do we do that? And I've just got some very simple things uh, about how we do that. I'm a part of a, uh, a book club. And uh, this last month, we were reading a book uh, by Alan Jacobs called How to Think. And he, um, uh, he has some very interesting thoughts in this in this book. And um, one of the things he talks about is um, a theory that's uh, promoted by uh, a psychologist about um, the way that we go through life and making decisions and thinking often can be compared to a person riding an elephant. And so the elephant represents your sort of uh, unconscious self that's that makes decisions naturally and has a has a very firm and weighty momentum to it, meaning that most of the decisions you make on a daily basis you make automatically. You're the elephant just moving through life and that whatever feels right is the decision you make. And you don't really think about most decisions, really think most of it is fairly unconscious. And so um, that one's red and that one's blue. I like blue. I'm taking that one and um, the, this one's uh, four and this one's six. And I'm going to take the one that's four. And um, I like um, this. And so I'm going to grab that. And he says that what we need to do is we need to train ourselves to be a more skilled rider of the elephant, where actually we can begin to shift the elephant based on knowledge that we have and based on pausing and taking time. And he said that this is probably more important today than ever in the days of social media, because social media is a very, in a sense, unconscious thinking process, meaning that we instantly react to things. And the problem with instant reaction is that you don't really pause to think. And so. We are instead of being reflecting and recognizing that not everything can be can be accurately responded to in a thumbs up or a thumbs down mode. um, And that often if we make snap and quick and fast judgments on things, that's good or that's bad. um, Or we we say something quickly that we might. Um, We actually might regret that later when we have time to think about it and we think about the impact it has on others. And so um, he thinks that, you know, that the elephant is guiding most of our social media interaction. And so if that is then having an influence on society, we don't have very many elephant riders out there actually having calm Thoughtful discourse. And you see that uh, you see that in our uh, world today. And so what we need to do with God, then, is that we need to concentrate and just calmly think about these key principles about God. And so one of the things um, that I want us to think about is the very nature of God, who God is. And you're going to say, Clark, this is so simple. Uh, it's a waste of time, but it's not a waste of time. So, you know, as we started this morning, we talked about that God is good all the time. God is good. And um, I'm happy that you enthusiastically repeated that to me. But I want you to pause and reflect on God being good in your life. In God being good in your life. God is good in my life. You know, Psalm 119 and verse 68 says you are good and what you do is good. Just talking about God. So think about that in your life. God, you are good and what you do is good. God is goodness. Um, you know, God judged his goodness in creation. When he God in Genesis, when God is creating the world, um, when he was judging it, he based his judgment on um, whether the creation was satisfactory, was was it good? Because that's what God is. And so God is saying, is my nature displayed in a way that is that is representative of goodness? And when he created man, he said, and woman, he said, It is very good. You see, God is good. God is good in my life and in your life, and he is good in his creation, and he is good in you. And he believes that his goodness is displayed in the very creation of you. That's who God is. The nature of God is goodness, Uh, and I think sometimes as Christians and as people who just accept this principle that we don't really pause to think about this very much and think about how this is. It's simple, but it's profound. So yesterday, Austin and I went out south to get haircuts, uh, which is another story. But afterwards, we went to the Krispy Kreme uh, donut place because the hot light was on. So it, there's some smiles and so people know what that means. Which means that they have a conveyor belt where there's donuts plopping into the the hot oil and right out and and getting. Frosting, they go through a frosting waterfall and then they go through there Then they and then right after there, they plop them into a box and then they hand them to you. So when you get in the car. The box is warm on your lap, right, Austin, and then you put one of those into your mouth. And you say, what? God is good, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, the hot light is going to be on in heaven. That's what heaven's going to taste like. Because God is good. And you're like, you know, all of the donuts are, have just fallen away. That's goodness. God is good. Every good and perfect gift is from above. What? Every good and perfect good. And perfect gift is from above. So all goodness. The origin of goodness is God. He didn't find it somewhere and take a little bit of it and then pass some of it out to us. He is the goodness. That is God. Every good and perfect gift, James 1 verse 17 says, comes down from the father of the heavenly lights Who does not change like shifting shadows. God is working through everything in your life to produce something good. See, we have trials and we have things that happen in our lives and our bodies are degrading and uh, being used up and uh, going down the drain, the shower drain. But we have to remember that actually God is trying to produce something good in your life. Romans 8, verse 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's purpose is that something good happens out of your life. So, God, you are good. You created goodness. And you want that in me. And you want my life. To be about goodness. God is good. All the time. God's goodness comes out uh, in that God loves you unconditionally. Unconditionally, what does that mean? That means that even when you don't deserve goodness, God gives you goodness. Even when you make mistakes, God still wants goodness for you. In first Corinthians six and verses 19 and 20, and I think this uh, scripture actually is on the back of our uh, card this morning. It says this and, you, and um, it says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's and so we may uh, we often think of this scripture and actually the the purpose of this scripture in this in this place in first Corinthians is about purity and it's about the uh, idea that if God bought you at a price and he so that uh, he has paid for you, that spiritually, that he has made it possible for you to be a part of his family, that you are now his and that this body can be used to house his spirit. Then you don't want to be mucking up this body and taking it to places that God wouldn't want his goodness to go. You know, it's sort of like in uh, maybe in, in our language If you had saved all your life for a sports car, a convertible, let's say, let's just say a Corvette convertible Uh, and and when you hit a certain date, you had the money uh, saved up and after decades, you finally bought that car. And let's say that um, you have that car in your garage and you are so proud of that car and how cool it is and you keep it perfectly clean and then. Your son or daughter comes and says, hey, can I borrow the car? You're like, sure. And then they take that car and they go mudding in it with the top down, with their dog in the back and a bunch of people that are not good people. And they bring it back. You're like, wait, I bought that car. I created that car for something good and you mucked it up. So that's what the scripture is about. But I want to point out a couple of things uh, here that God's. Says that. You were bought at a price. You see. It isn't. Inexpensive. For God to make you a part of this goodness. It would be cheaper for God to let you be given over to evil, to let you die in sin. But God bought you at the ultimate price. What is the most expensive thing for God? It's His Son. And the sacrifice of his son is the most expensive thing, the greatest gift he could have had to pay for you and for me so that we could be a part of his goodness. I need to move along here. Uh, and so you got that point. You've got it. God is good, right? All the time. God is good. All right. Say it with me. God is good all the time. All the time. God also is faithful all the time. This is another way of expressing this, but it's an important point. God is faithful all the time. God is faithful. You know, Jesus expresses faith as calm and peace. And um, he does this in a story uh, that's one of the famous stories about Jesus when he is um, crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and he calms the sea. And so. Um it's, it's a very cool story, particularly if you like boats and fishermen. And, uh, you know, so they want to go across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually a, a, a very interesting body of water because it's actually not a sea. It's a lake. Uh, in fact, it's, it's one of the largest lakes in, uh, in this northern region of Israel. It, um, it's about, I think it's about seven, a little over seven miles across at its widest place. And this is probably about where they were going across. And it's about 160 feet deep at its deepest. And normally lakes aren't that violent, you know, as far as storms, because they're going across in this fishing boat. And those days, fishing boats usually had sails. Uh, And particularly if you're going to go that far, you wouldn't want to row that far. That would completely wear you out. And so they would use a sail. And uh, I like sailing. So this is, you know, interesting to me. And and usually these boats would hold about 12 people. And it says that Jesus was asleep on a pillow on the stern. So the stern's the back part of the boat, and there's usually a flat space there, so you can kind of imagine that. Um, but what you can't imagine is a violent storm um, uh, coming up quickly, which does happen in the Sea of Galilee, actually, at this lake, uh, because um, the Sea of Galilee, I think, is almost a 1,000 feet below sea level, and there are big mountain ranges uh, on its sides, and so big. Uh, huge winds will, will come and sweep down through there and create uh, very violent storms. In fact, so violent that they can have up to 16 feet waves when, you know, one minute it's calm and then 10 minutes later you've got 16 feet waves in these big storms. So I've actually seen people throw up over the side of a boat in five-foot waves. So I can't imagine what, be in being a small fishing boat, 16 feet waves would be like and sleep on the back of the boat. So your savior, you know that dude, right? He's asleep in 16 foot waves on the back of a little fishing boat. All the other people are freaking out. Some of them are probably throwing up and they are scared. They're scared. Life has suddenly got very scary. Your life gets scary sometimes. Sometimes you got 16 foot waves going on in your life and it's scary. And so They say to Jesus, don't you care about us? And can't you do something about this? And Jesus gets up and he calms the storm. He says, peace, be still. But then he has to take he he makes a lesson out of it because he makes a lesson out of everything because he's able to use life and and teach us. And he says um, here in Mark, chapter four, uh, around verse uh, 39, I think. He says, uh, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? Are you worried that you're just a piece of soap that's being used up by these waves and you're going to be gone? See, it's a profound question. He's not being snide profound. Matthew actually says that the boat was covered by the waves. So waves are crashing over the boat. I still can't figure out how Jesus sleeps because he is so peaceful. He realizes that they're not soap in this boat. And he says, how is it that you have no faith? See, Jesus associates faith with peacefulness peacefulness so why is that important for us this morning it's important because you're probably like me and that there's a lot of things in your daily life that cause you to say is this going to be okay that give you stress that give you high blood pressure that aren't going the way that you want them to go where you start to feel like maybe I am soap and I'm just going to be washed away. And Jesus says, Have faith, peace be still. Because God is faithful. All the time, God is faithful. So, how do we make God a permanent, non consumable God? How do we make our spirituality permanent and. Um, That we're not just consuming God and when he makes us happy, that we don't search out other things in our life to be our God uh, when we don't think that um, we like this brand of soap anymore, that we really breathe God in. And what I mean by that is the idea that we're consciously being. Brothers and sisters who say to God, I am grateful for the blessing of your goodness and for your spirit, your Holy Spirit, which helps me to understand goodness. And I want to breathe that in peacefully and calmly and faithfully. I know I'm not a bar of soap and I know that I am not consumable. If I have your spirit, if I have your goodness, Psalm 34 and verse eight says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That the hot light is on in heaven. That he is so good. And then blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, who recognizes that even at times where it's a little stormy. And you feel like maybe Jesus is asleep at the wheel. That you know that there is a goodness that has overcome all of that and every storm in your life. So the result will be you breathing in God. You walking through a room and God is walking through that room and his goodness is walking through that room you sailing through a storm. And God's goodness is sailing through that storm. And people see that and know that and come to want to taste that goodness and want to see that peace and be a part of that peace. Goodness is going to happen when we bring God to the party. When we associate our. Our. The, the best party that we can have, the most happiness that we can ascribe to that could possibly be in our being, the way a Krispy Kreme hot donut, you don't feel like anything else at that moment can taste any better. That's going to happen when we fully understand that goodness is God and we breathe God in and we begin to. Take hold of that and never let go. Do you have things in your life that never let go of you? So our dog, Chloe, about uh, probably 10 years ago, was out in the yard at night and um, encountered a skunk and tried to defend this family household um, by, you know, bitten face to face with this skunk. And I'm sure she was barking. Because the skunk sprayed her. And um, that was um, something then that would never let go of her. And so we tried, we uh, we Googled and we tried every method. We had, you know, uh, tomato sauce and um, things that the vet recommended. And we worked for weeks. But every time she would come up and wag her tail and breathe on you, She breathes the skunk back to you. So so that's a negative thing that never lets go. But. I hope that. God becomes a part of your chemistry, a part of your atoms. So much so that his goodness is with you. Through every storm and through every part of your life. As a church. We want to be able to bring God's goodness to everyone. That we can touch. And we want to be a place. I know you want this with me that brings God's goodness to the table. But I recognize that there are. Stormy days and there are sunny days. It was 81 degrees on Friday, right? It was snowing this morning. But also in our lives, there are stormy days. And if you're having a stormy day today. Help us or come forward and let us bring some goodness through prayer and through supplication of God. If you're ready to sail with God. You haven't committed to him. You can commit to him today. Don't walk out of here and leave God's goodness here. Walk out with God's goodness and walk with God and be at peace. Please come as we stand and sing.